Welcome to Quiver Financial's Catch the Next Wave, where we discuss the next up-and-coming investment trend. Today, we have a special guest, Jordan Himmel of Magnet Fund, who's going to talk to us about why considering long-short strategies in today's market may help you get ahead of the next investment curve. Jordan, welcome to Quiver Financial's Catch the Next Wave. I'm excited to have you because I've known you for so long. And I've watched and tracked everything you've done over the years. And, you know, personally, as watching you, your timing's been impeccable. So it's great to see you come out with a strategy that's a long, short strategy in today's market. So let's just start off with um, giving the listeners a little background on who you are, where you came from, how you got in the business. And then from there, we'll transition into what a long, short strategy is and how investors can utilize it in their portfolio, and then um, share with us, you know, the typical day in the investment manager world of long short strategies. So let's start right. off with uh, a little background and uh, get to know you a little bit. Yeah, well, first of all, Colby, it's really nice to join you and the team. And uh, you know, I've been in this industry over twenty five years ago, and we met about twenty years ago, at least that. And, uh, but I want to break it out and even go back just a little bit further to kind of set up my, you know, the whole career. And so I grew up in, in a environment, I wrote this in, in an earlier book where I was lucky to have two grandparents. One set of grandparents talked about the stock market a lot, and they were the ones with a trunk full of toys. And then there was another set of grandparents that really were barely scraping by. And it was a one slice of cheese in between two pieces of bread. I loved them just as much. But early on in my life, I said, wait a second, this stock market looks attractive to me. And, you know, so I went to the Bronx High School of Science, which is a very quantitative, mathematically oriented, specialized high school. And, and then from there, I was lucky enough to find myself at Stony Brook University uh, out on Long Island in New York. And, and what was so unusual in Stony Brook at the time, there was a couple of the absolute top, really, really foremost front thinkers in terms of chaos theory. And, and, and they got into um, trying to present that into the stock market and how stocks work. And it turned out that the founder of the business school where I got my master's degree at Stony Brook became my director of research. And, and he was my director of research at the original Magnet Fund for 10 full years. And what happened, Colby, is he sat down with me and he said, look, you have this theory about the market. What I want you to do is to look at different factors that you look at. And it resulted from a 20-year, basically, study of what makes a great company from a fundamental, quantitative, measurable side. And, and Dr. Owen Carroll said to me, hey, wait a second. I will become your director of research. We can sell this to major institutions. And this is a what he called a robust model. And so what, what it basically was able to do, Colby, is we, he said, what's the most important thing? What's the second most important thing? And we built out a, a macro, a model that could take the entire stock market and rank all public companies in order of revenue growth, profit margins, cash flow, debt levels, 
all the things that you need to do to rank a company, and then take it obviously a second level and look by market cap, by sector, so you really weren't uh, comparing a software company to a utility company, a $200 million revenue company versus a $70 billion company. And what happened was we ended up um, licensing this to one of the largest institutions in America. And at the same time, I was actually, I had been in retail for, for 10 years, um, never selling the company's list though. And I said, okay, it's time to start the original magnet fund. We did that all the way back in 97. We ran that right up to the year prior to the financial crisis. And it just looked like a mess out there. Magnifund closed in 06. And for a couple of years, I wrote some books. I took care of the kids. I came back into the industry as a sub-advisor. And Colby, you know, the market had, had this long legs uh, where long short or, or it didn't make a whole lot of sense. About a year ago, maybe two years ago, I felt that the market had got to an extreme point where a handful of companies represented everybody's interest. It was all technology or nothing. But at this point, profits didn't matter. Uh, instead of the old days of, say, the internet where they look at eyeballs, they looked at other metrics, but those metrics weren't sound. So I said, it's time to restart Magnet Fund which is a, a opportunity fund, which will share really what it's all about. But heck, I know you 20 years ago when I was running Magnet Fund. Yeah. And then I remember reaching out to you about a little over a year ago saying we were gonna start the fund again. And, and your instincts at the time were perfect too. You said, it's probably the very best time this long only cycle has run um, its course. And then since then, things continue to fall exactly almost uh, into the time frame and time scale that, that, you know, we both looked at. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, so I want to, I want to get into a, a little bit about what a long short strategy is and some of the misnomers, because it's changed over the years, the way that phrase is. But before we do, um, I just want to touch on one more little personal item on that is like, it's interesting in your story because you know, you, you mentioned that you, in your family that you had basically the haves and the have nots. Right? Right, right. And then and then you end up going to school with some incredibly bright people. Right. Because both of those schools you mentioned are very well known for just having bright, smart people. Um, and so now, you know, you, you spend some time with that and you find a great mentor that helped you then build out this whole process. And I'm just wondering in that is like watching your family with the haves and have nots um, and then seeing that you're running a strategy that's really, you know, at the end of the day, designed to, to performing in, in tough environments. Um, wh what part of that family history, what part of that personal interaction and what you saw in life is a contributor to the kind of strategy that you live, that you operate now? Is there, is there a right. tie-in anywhere there? Well, you know, it's, it's a funny question and, and I'll kind of answer it this way. You know, I'm the youngest of four and, uh, you know, all four kids are very different. Uh, you know, I was always the more mathematical one of, of the kind, but the fact is, is that when the original magnet came together 
and then was licensed out and then developed these really, really significant returns. They started bringing me on TV a lot. I was kidded a lot by my family members. How the heck did you do this? I mean, <laughs> this is just you. And, and the answer is, um, I was always comfortable actually being the least intelligent at the table. And, and Dr. Owen Carroll uh, brought together a couple of other PhDs and this group of quants did these back tests and, and did the modeling. And I was more of the coach or the, the product manager, if you will. There's no way I could have done this myself. Uh, and even today, I can't run this by myself. We have a small team, couple PhDs, a couple CFAs, uh, this is not anything that one guy just does on his own. But, but the beauty of it is that I was comfortable maybe being the youngest, having other people kind of do the heavier lifting. And I was just kind of comfortable in my skin as what I call the project manager. I came up with the name magnet. It's an acronym, actually, where everything stands for something. And, and what it is, is that when these companies rank out a certain way, it creates a magnet, if you will, to other managers. They find these companies, they want them in their portfolio. We have a system, again, it's all a system with a rate of change where we probably find these things a little bit earlier. And then also understand, you know, I have this big belief uh, and analogies towards the entertainment and the sports world where these great players come up they're in their prime of their lives, and then suddenly they're not anymore. Uh, and, and other managers get, I believe, stuck. In, and again, in the retail side, individuals, they, they cling on to certain names when all of a sudden the model is saying, no, the revenue growth has now slowed. The profit margins have now started to decline. There's a new magnet. And, and so the whole point was... Uh, the market is very dynamic. You, you know, even the S&P 500, there's something like 450 names that weren't in the S&P 25 years ago. In 25 years from now, the list will continue to change. So it's super important to have some sort of mechanism, some sort of system, quantitative, unbiased, undisciplined, uh, completely disciplined approach to say, there's no way I can forecast the future, but with enough diagnostics, uh, I can actually do a x-ray and rank all public companies, just like you would students. And there's A students and B students. You always would expect an A and B student to outperform D and F students, test after test, cycle after cycle. The issue is, the names change, the symbols change, the companies change. And again, you know, going back to my, I guess, my, my upbringing, you know, I was told by my parents, you're the youngest of four. It was, it was a time when parents were maybe less present. Uh, and they said, look, you could do whatever you want to do in life. <laughs> Just good luck with it. And uh, I was lucky enough to find the, the really, like you said, mentors and, and teammates that uh, in their own right were some of the top people in their own industry. And, um, and luck plays a little piece of that. 
Yeah, and you know what stands out in that in what you said there, which can help us transition into the description of what a long short strategy is, is is that when you when you talk, it sounds like your system is essentially designed um, to capture and manipulate the traditional demand supply demand process that happens within stocks in the sense that you're able to your systems are able to identify holdings early before other people start to pile into them and that's what i mean by the supply demand balance imbalance right. like it, as other people want it you know the supply is going to dry up and if you're there ahead of time essentially ahead of the curve catching the next wave before it happens um, then you're going to benefit from the buying that comes behind you now what's interesting though is as you said that you would be thinking about that on the long side like the upside right but that can also happen on the downside or on the short side where all of a sudden momentum changes to the other direction and you've got to be able to capture and, and see that so utilize that statement you know to help transition into the idea of giving some people that might be listening um, and not have a complete total picture of what long short means and also how maybe the magnet strategy and, and how you view long short is a little bit different than some of the traditional viewpoints. Right, it, that's a, it's a great question in that there's not a traditional um, one size fits all in, in the hedge fund world. And, and the hedge fund, the, the unique part of it is that the belief is you shouldn't only sit there long only, always fully invested, ride through cycles, take the 50% down and then recover over time. And I know you with, with, with Quiver really believe in the red zone and in, in, in making sure you don't simply sit there and ride the wave up and ride the wave down. If you did that, no one would need your services anyway. So what there is in, in the industry, some companies or, or some strategies call it pure market neutral which means they're always long the certain amount of stocks they think will go up and then they're short the equal amount and they believe that by pairing them, but always being market neutral, uh, they could actually take advantage of, of their own model. Mm -hmm. Then there's even things called like 130-30, which got very popular years ago, which is a heavily leveraged model, which is 130% long, my best ideas, and always 30% short my worst ideas and always maintain that kind of strategy. Well, that's an awful lot of margin to work with. And sometimes your good ideas and bad ideas uh, go in opposite directions. So what, what Magnet Fund actually is, it's, it's a, it's a equity fund, meaning that we're not working with derivatives. We're not working with options. There's no real estate. There's no, private placements. It's, we believe this very powerful model, which can rank companies, could show us which companies we want to own and be long and capture the upside while they rank out currently. At the same time, there are always some stocks that are just problems. Their, their margins are too low. Their, their revenue is too low. They have too much debt. Now, interestingly, this doesn't mean that they're, they're so high in price, we just want to short them. Because that's a catastrophe often where people look at overpriced stocks, they think, and, and they double and they double and double. So what we do is with a tremendous teamwork, 
we actually create lists of potential longs, potential shorts. The computer doesn't trade them. It gives us and the team an opportunity to dig deeper, say, why does this rank at high? Is there an anomaly in the earnings? Is it a one-shot payment? Is it a lawsuit? Or better yet, is it a new product, a new market, a new geography? And, and it gives us the, the, those kind of insights. So what we will do, Colby, is we will see an environment like several months ago where the advanced decline line, more stocks are going down than, than going up. And the advanced decline line is clearly negative. The number of new lows exceed the number of new highs. And that's actually an environment that shows up every couple of years. It's a bear market. Um, we probably are still in one right now towards the tail end. And in that environment, if you can identify those companies that have the worst ranking and then the worst patterns in the supply and demand, institutions selling them, insider selling them, it gives you a, a real good candidate for short. But there were times, Colby, when I was running the original Magnet Fund in 97, 96, where the number of new lows shrunk. The advanced decline line started to trend significantly higher and shorts were harder to find. Well, just because we were running Magnet Fund, I didn't feel a need to be short a whole lot of ideas. So there's a way of actually like a weatherman, if the weather's perfect uh, and the environment is right, it means the advanced decline line is right, growth stocks are leading, number of new lows is, is, is shrunk. Um, that's an environment where you don't want to be short a lot of stock. Mm -hmm. And so Magnet Fund is not buttonholed into this always paired long and short, 130-30 with a lot of leverage. And in fact, you need a margin to count to short companies, but this magnet fund, which has now been running, uh, we started again earlier this year, we have never used margin once yet. And, and even though we can, the original magnet fund, I was really proud of the numbers we put up, but it was done in an aggressive style. And, and we had fewer names, more concentration. Um, what we're doing right now is much more evenly spread out among more companies, not too many, but the goal is not to have, like we did a couple of years, the highest return in the country. It's a matter of having a risk return where our clients sleep right, feel right, but no, we're not just Okay, stay fully invested. And that, again, is the biggest problem where the broker will just say, ride it out, ride it out. The market always comes back. And then the next thing they know, a traditional bear market coupled with a recession will take 40 to 50% off your principal. That's not something you want to ride down if you have the tactical abilities to avoid it. Got it. Got it. So. So over time, you can adjust, meaning that um, the amount of names that you're invested, expecting them to go higher on the long side, um, can adjust according to how your model is telling you whether you're in a confirmed uptrend or downtrend. 
as well as the list and depth of the names that you may be short at any particular time. It'll, it'll adjust as the market is giving you its indications of its intentions over time. Um, and I would say that that sounds, compared to other hedge fund long short type of strategies, it sounds that it's a differentiator because you have the flexibility to, to adjust to the environment. Um, so that, that, that I would think would be a value add in, in, in most situations. Uh, Justin right. Patrick. Let me, you, let me just touch yeah. on that, Colby. Yeah. Let me just add to that. The, the important part I want to distinguish here is that we're not forecasting six months out and one year out that we know what's going to happen this time and that time. Instead, every day, if you have enough research and you have the resources, this public published list, how many stocks hit a new high, how many hit a new low? Is those numbers contracting? Is the advanced decline line uh, declining or advancing? And, and so we don't like to predict the future as we know exactly what's gonna happen in the future. If you know someone that's doing that, you should probably run the other way. Instead, it's a really mathematical model to understand, to ask what's going on right now, knowing the trend can change at any time. And if in fact the trend changes, we're not painted into a corner bullish, bearish or anything. We're willing to be absolutely uh, able to look outside, step outside and see what the weather looks like. And if it's a thunderstorm, no matter how good your golf game is, you don't belong on the course. True. Well, to expand on kind of what Colby had said is that you have the flexibility to be able to be long or short and have that percentage in there. My question to you is why um, during the last 10, 12 years of a bull run, did you shut down the prior magnet fund knowing that it's probably more of a long type of hold period than, than having any shorts, having that flexibility. And the second part of, for the clients that might be listening to this and media has a big influence on what clients and retail investors think, this is kind of going against the Warren Buffett coming out and competing against head fund managers of you know beating the market and him always betting against people that can beat the market. And I think some of the answer is you having the flexibility to, to control that allows you to be able to beat that. But I want you to expand on why the magnet fund is able to actually outperform the market. Okay. And those are two separate things I want to address them, you know, individually. Right. So the fact is we actually took magnet and, and closed it in 06 and, you know, before a storm really hit. And for a couple of years, it was just a really, really nutty environment to, to manage money coming out of that rather than starting it up again. And, and frankly, it takes, a, it takes a, a lot of effort to run a fund. I chose to actually join a couple registered investment advisors and run some long only strategy uh, and, and just you know run it through their model and, and not look for new clients and new money to raise. Also, at that time, I was actually developing, you know, a second model on the most trustworthy companies, uh, a, a fax model, which has taken on a, a life of its own. It's been running 10 years with excellent returns. And so 
to answer your other question, which is really interesting, I think about it all the time. So Warren Buffett would not be managing money if he didn't think he had an advantage over the market. And just like the, the magnet um, bell curve of all public companies, most people, Patrick, cannot outperform the market, right? And what they say is that to go back, again, I'm from New York City. I don't golf a lot. I frankly, my clients are happy I don't golf a lot because uh, I really focus on the market. But the point is, golf is an incredibly hard game. And you'll hear people saying, nobody can break 80. Nobody can break 90. Nobody can do that. Well, every weekend on television, there are a few dozen professionals that shoot in the 60s and the 70s. They're a rare bunch. The, if you took 10,000 golfers, there's only a couple of percent that shoot in the 60s and the 70s. So it's true. Most people can't beat the market. Most managers are so in tune with actually mirroring the market mm -hmm. and, and how much is tech and how much is energy? I have to have 6% in energy. I have to have 22% in tech. And they follow the S&P in almost a closet way. And then the only thing left there are, are their fees. So the interesting thing about Magnet is that we are willing to not be the market. That means there might be weeks, there might be months or timeframes when the market actually can exceed our returns. But the point is, is that if you have a disciplined enough model and you actually follow it and don't get caught up loving a couple of names or thinking that you know what's gonna happen next and you only stock your portfolio with A and B students, well, every test cycle that comes around, every quarterly earnings, you can't wait for that test to be given because you know the A and B students are always, almost always over any period of time gonna get better average test scores than the C, D and F students. And it's this powerful model that ranks companies. So, you know, and, and then one other thing about Buffett, which is really interesting is that I've read everything he's ever written. I've written the books about him. I've read everything I could find. What he would like to share with you is his struggles these days is he has so much money to manage that he could only invest in the largest of all companies. Yeah. And so he has these outside positions in Apple, but just because it's so big. What he says is that if he got to a point where he would only manage 100, 200, 300 million again, he would be able to show out performance again. And so one of the keys is that, you know, Magnet is nimble enough and we can actually invest in companies that are early on our cycle where we find them. And then what happens is we hear as the year goes on, such and such was added to the S&P 600. Such and such was added to the S&P 400. And our companies get found because their, their price goes up, the volume goes up, and they get added to indexes. And then there are people that 
have so much money to manage that they can only invest in companies that are already mature. And so, yeah, they can eke out a return, but they can't invest in the true growth opportunities that Magnet not anticipates, not guesses, but they show up on the screen and we put the money into play and then watch them with, with not only my eyes, but the whole team and all of the resources we have to monitor positions and watch lists. So it's a lot of work, um, but it's like a big puzzle and I actually love it. And I like how you always say too, that you're not in love with the company. So even though all of your systems and everything tell you that this company should go up or go down or whatever, if it starts to move in the other direction or, you know, the CEO comes out with something that you didn't anticipate, you're quick to dump it and just kind of move on and, and not dwell on it. So I like that aspect. Of right. it. Well, well, Patrick, let me just, you know, take that one step further. Think about again, a sports team with a tremendous amount of resources and scouts and they do combines and they do drills. Not every top draft pick becomes an all-star. And the whole idea is you have to be able to be willing to put your resources into trying to identify them, but then not have the ego to say, hey, I drafted that guy. He has to work out. Um, there's none of that that gets involved. We, we have the, the skill and the resources to identify them. But if you buy a beautiful seed and you plant it and you water it and, and you fertilize it all and it doesn't grow, you got to change the seed. You just put a new seed in. You don't take it personally. And the whole idea is to try to operate without an ego and um, to, to maintain the flexibility to know that sometimes data is going to lead you astray and that doesn't mean you double down you fall in love you basically say my responsibility to the client is to own a healthy portfolio of thriving companies and for whatever reason you know there's a hundred reasons why companies lose their way and and if they do they lose their spot in our portfolio it's that simple yeah it's a good discipline i like that um so I, I have a I, I have one question and then we'll kind of go into the wrap up unless Justin and uh, Patrick have other questions and the wrap up will be for you to give us a little idea of your typical day and some of the tools and resources that that you use. But before we get there, what what I'm wondering is, you know, when you when we talked earlier this year and you said, hey, I'm going to restart this magnet uh, strategy after spending 10 years on facts, you know, you, you spent a long time on a strategy that was basically focused on finding the highly most trusted companies from a long only perspective. Um, and it, it was doing well and, and is doing well. And then earlier this year, you see something that, you know, gets you motivated enough to go through the time, energy and expense to start up a long short fund uh, when you reached out to me, I knew what I saw in markets and the data that I was getting from others and things I was seeing on forward moving indicators. But, you know, you know, give us a little insight on what you were seeing in this world of finance that you felt that now was a good time to start a long short strategy as opposed to just sticking with a long only strategy. 
Right, right. Well, you know, I, I, I love I love it because, you know, it makes me think of, you know, why I do what I do. And and so, first of all, Colby, let me just share that Facts itself, which is a model I run as a separately managed account, is really nothing more than magnet with additional filters put on in corporate governance, in, in sustainability measurements, in, in extra, extra layers. So what it does is it actually finds or only allows in more mid-cap and larger companies. And the idea is that not everyone is looking for uh, returns that a magnet stock can do. So mm -hmm. frankly, FACS has continued to run. We continue to run it. Uh, it. It's a strategy that I love. And I think you know most clients and investors would like to, but specifically, you know, last year I was at a, you know, kind of a large registered advisory firm and all you heard every day were like the same five themes. It was, and I don't want to pick on them because these are good companies, but it was Amazon, Netflix, NVIDIA, mm -hmm. um, over and over, Apple, NVIDIA, every, like, like there was nothing else there. And then what happens is, I always, even when I was running the magnet long only and fast long only there, I was always looking at these other funds and other fund managers because we're looking at their portfolios and they would say things like, we do this and then we do this and then we do this and then we create the portfolio and I'd look at it and I could tell you what the largest 10 names were almost every time. It was Google, Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Tesla, it was MasterCard, Visa, JP Morgan. And, and then what happened though, uh, which really kind of took it specifically, there became a handful of what we'll call SaaS companies. Software as a service. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, a lot of these companies all did the same things. They had these CRM models, this customer service models and payroll models. And then suddenly there was 20 of them and there was 25 of them and none of them really made any money at the end of the day. And they all traded price to sales levels that were just bubble-like. Mm -hmm. And it made no sense to me. And the market got narrower and narrower and more and more focused. And then a couple of specific Chinese names entered my model where they look like dead shorts. And, and <laughs> I started shorting them with my own money outside of what I was doing for clients. The returns started to just accelerate. And I said, hey, wait a second, the thing just rolled over now. And, mm -hmm. and now this whole mania of tech only, only tech, doesn't matter what you pay. Um, it was very reminiscent of the year 2000. People said it wasn't, but it was. And then the coin mania, and, and we, we, we mm -hmm. got into a moment in time where I said, fundamentals decoupled from performance, there's going to be a great opportunity to be shorting. And then I also know, and, and we've discussed this, the bear cycle will end. And, and it's probably 
getting ready to come to a crescendo. And then all the other people that were so frustrated and, and they're now companies, a lot of the software companies are down 60, 70%, even a quality quote unquote NVIDIA is down 65%. And people are bludgeoned and they can't see straight anymore. Mm -hmm. And then when the final crescendo comes, they'll say, we never ever want to invest again. And that's actually when the long side of magnet does the absolute best. Sure. And, and the problem is if you're working in a traditional RIA environment, I was literally handcuffed at that point. And it was, I couldn't be Jordan Kimmel. I couldn't use magnet the way it should be used. And I said, it's time now to restart magnet fund. It's time now to go to a couple of just old friends, just raise uh, the initial investors and some of my clients, my own money, of course, family money comes in. And then we relaunched Magnet, I think at the ideal time. And um, I haven't felt this good in my career since I started the original Magnet. The difference now is I have a really experienced risk management team around me. I have 20 more years of experience through the yeah. cycles. And, and I have the ability and the affordability to have systems in place uh, and a team in place to run this together. And all I could say is it, it's the best of times right now at Magnet, um, despite a awful news environment um, and a pretty rough take for most people. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, good. That's great. I, I, yeah. So it's a lot of what I was thinking we were seeing in markets too. And like you said, it was just, there was that shift that we saw post just right after January. So uh, Justin, you got a question? Uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to, um, if you could maybe give us a kind of take us through, and I know we've been talking about how Magnet works, but, um, and we mentioned earlier a little bit about, you know, a lot of fund managers will kind of try and stay uh, mirror, you know, the market's returns and try not to kind of go above and beyond that. Um, and we talked about, oh, you know, I need 6% of this or 10% of this. Can you kind of walk me through like, you know, when you go ahead and you run, you know, a company or multiple companies through your magnet uh, fund, um, you know, do you, do you go and do you pick a certain sector and then you, you choose, you know, a, a, the whole basket of tech or do you choose biotech or do, do I just say, oh, you know, there's 3000 publicly traded companies, here's all the different variables. And then it spits out, you know, there's certain percentage over here, certain percentage over here. Do you kind of look for, you know, choosing different sectors throughout, you know, when you're going through this process? Right. So it's a really, really, you know, great worded question. And so here's the great answer to it. Um, rather than predetermine what we're going to do, we literally have this computerized model, which will rank all public companies. Now, what happens is, as industries and sector emerge, um, what, what happens is they get pricing power, um, specifically, let's go to like the energy sector, you know, of, of a year ago, which hadn't performed well for years. Suddenly, my list was full of energy companies. Okay. And, and so, but what we do here is we, we actually govern 
the model to risk management. And what I mean by that is we don't allow any one sector to become a sector bet all of a sudden where we have all the money in say basic materials, all the money in energy, even though they ranked out predominantly well. So one of the sheets I, I get, which is really dramatic, is it takes every sector and it breaks it down to large, small, mid, and gives me a separate report on the top five companies in each sector and each market cap. That comes out to about 175 names. And so you'll see the top small cap tech, the top small cap discretionary, the large cap, you know, it just goes right through that whole mechanism. So what we learned back uh, years ago is that if you let the model go ungoverned without risk metrics, there'll be times you own too many tech stocks, too many oil stocks. And so rather than try to mirror uh, the index itself, we basically put a governance on ourselves by saying, okay, let's, let's eliminate all bad behavior. So we don't let a sector stack up too high. And then of course we go into each company and say, let's eliminate all small illiquid companies, stocks that we can't get in and out of without moving the market. So we don't like tiny illiquid companies, although sometimes they could be great investments for yourself to buy a thousand or two thousand or three thousand shares of a really micro cap company, that stock you can't sell when you want to sell it when the when the rating changes. So we we don't allow those companies to be too small. So again, um, what will happen with Magnet? It will actually it's almost like a heat seeker. It will go towards those industries where the pricing power comes in and then it will identify the top companies in those sectors. And then um, one extra step, because this goes through the experience factor, is that Magnet cannot find biotech companies before they turn profitable. They just can't because um, there's no revenue, there's no margins and et cetera. What happened earlier in the year, um, all of a sudden, biotechs started to come back into favor. And that was the only exception we should maybe let's buy a couple ETFs, the large and the small biotech ETFs. They actually had a great run for us. Um, and it looked like white hot. So we sold them. We actually stepped back in there just this week again. Uh, and and so, so what it comes down to is, Justin, I can't predict the future. I can't even predict next month. I know it will be hotter in the summer and colder in the winter. But when you start saying, you know what has going to happen in the election, and then you know what's going to happen in Ukraine, and you know what's going to happen in China, you actually paint yourself into a corner you don't want to be in. So it's a model that, that finds these companies. It doesn't trade them. It presents them on a silver plate. So when you say there's 3,000 publicly traded companies, we can narrow that down to the 200 really, really sweetest opportunities. And then we say, okay, well, we're only going to allow 35% 30, top in any sector. 
And, and then we don't want to have to, you know, and, and then the portfolio with a team. And I want to share with you, you know, there's a couple CFAs, there's a couple PhDs. We put them all out in front of us. We look at the spreadsheet. We will look at the charts. We will look at, at all kinds of things. And then what it is, it's a matter of eliminating companies that look like for whatever reason are higher risk. And the main thing that, that Dr. Carroll, going all the way back to then, he shared with me that the, the model is so robust that if you stick to the top several companies, it doesn't matter if sometimes you don't have this one and you don't have that one. The big problem comes from when you start listening to this company is going to discover oil. This company is going to discover DNA. This company is going to merge with so-and-so. And you start investing based on other than who actually has the highest revenue growth, the highest profit margins, the acceleration in profit margins, the acceleration in cash flow, and then of course the opposite, the deceleration, and and then eventually even sequoia trees die so you know our our goal is not to be that that person explaining why we held this particular stock despite the fact it's now down so dramatically it poisoned the portfolio and and there's so many great ideas and and, and I don't need to pick on, you know, but whether it was DocuSign or Teladoc or whatever it was, these things sounded good, they're down 80%. And you have a few of these things in your portfolio that look like that. And even people were saying, you know, gambling, online gambling, it doesn't matter if they don't make any money. They will. They're down 80%. <laughs> and, and their business models are terrible. And so we even thought we saw one bottoming out, but it didn't. And, and so we, we know online gambling is popular. We also know they're unprofitable. And there's not a company on our long side that not only isn't profitable, there's not a company we own long that doesn't have accelerating cash flow and accelerating margins. And that combination is so powerful. Yeah. Um, they pull other people into your companies. What I hope percentage that, would you say of your system is gut? Um, very little. It's very little. Um, there's, um, there are experiences because we're all human beings um, where, for example, I will know that this happens to be the highest profit margin company in an industry. And yet the stock is, is still down. As long as it is not continuing to go down and maybe starts to go up, I'll, I'll put a pilot position on. But every company, super important, has not a stop loss with the broker, but it has a level that we don't want it to go below there because it start. It looks like decline, and the light will go off. And all I know is that the most important thing is controlling your losses, and and not allowing a twenty percent to go to thirty percent to go to fifty percent to go to a point where you wake up in the middle of the night and think about a company. Uh, at that point, 
you've lost your discipline. And, and, and part of the reason I think I'm so good at being disciplined is having been in the business and you have your own side money and you take this and that, you try this and that. I've probably made every mistake you could have made. Um, and by making those mistakes and learning from them, people are now dealing with someone who has the amount of experience uh, that we don't let it happen again. And um, sometimes you have to learn your own lessons uh, or you could piggyback with somebody who has spent literally his entire life investing and, and knows what hurts people the most. Staying stubborn, falling in love, averaging down, none of those things will ever happen with portfolios we manage. Did you hear that, Justin, falling in love? since you're getting married is one of those falling in love and getting things. married is something different now, Colby. You know, <laughs> oh, sorry. Married a long sorry. Time. Sorry, sorry. And uh, falling in love is a great thing. Falling in love with a stock is poison. <laughs> falling in love with, with a spouse and, and remember to treat them right uh, is a great recipe in life. So Justin, Patrick, do you have any other questions before I go into kind of the last wrap up question? Uh, no, my other question was going to get into some of the indicators, but he answered all of that with uh, Patrick and my question earlier. So I was oh, just going to ask if there was other things. I know you had mentioned, I think you said price to sales. I know sometimes people look at price to book or, you know, those kind of indicators. Now, does the magnet system do that stuff for you or is that something that you look at after, after the fact? So are there, I know that, you know, you get the the list of 150 companies and then you choose the 30 is there, I know between technical indicators, you know, are there other, you know, price to book price to sales like you yeah, mentioned? That's a great question. Cause it yeah. actually helps us segue. Cause that, that was going to be part of the, my, my wrap up question is that, you know, one thing that we didn't cover on here is that, that the name magnet is, is an acronym, right? So there's, what is that? Six letters in there magnet. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah. So, so there's there's essentially six components or six screens or six principles or foundational things that you're looking for that you put these stocks through, you know, a rigorous study basically that these stocks have to go through before you consider them into the portfolio. So give us, you know, the typical day of Jordan Kimmel, the magnet fund long short manager knowing that he has this acronym um, and he's searching for things that fit these six criteria. Um, how does your day start and how does it end? What do you do in the middle of the day? What tools and resources are you, are you utilizing and, and what do you do to manage your stress? I mean, do you, I mean, do, do you wake up and, and smoke a half a pack of half a pack of cigs and have two martinis before you hit the office or, you know, good, is it something else? I did Luckily not think not. you were going to say cigs on that one. <laughs> so so the, the key is, is that by, by managing the risk, I think you manage the stress, but, you know, going back, I have to just touch on, on Justin's question. The way it gets into those forced ranking is the spreadsheet itself has 17 fundamental criteria, price to sales, debt to cash flow. And, and some of them are, are straight that you could extract from a data source. And then others are ratios that we've created where we're looking for how much 
cash flow by market cap and the list goes on and on, but that's how the ranking occurs. And so, you know, the, the important thing, Colby, you, you know, you mentioned, cause I know you live in balance. You, you have to actually get your exercise. You actually have to step away from screens. Uh, and, and so I do nice long walks in the neighborhood. Um, I have a dog that insists on going out a couple times a day. Um, I'll hit a bucket of golf balls, but I really don't go, you know, to the course. It just takes too long to do that. But, you know, the interesting thing is that the, the life of a manager, the life of a hedge fund manager, it's not all that sexy. You know, the, the thing is, I do a lot of things that allow other people to be on their boats uh, and, and to do what they like to do. To me, this is a gigantic literally a gigantic puzzle. Uh, and once you kind of get started with it, I, I mentioned in, in a new book we released, I interviewed a guy that was 99 years old that was running the longest running mutual fund in history. And mm. obviously extremely already well set. Wow. He um, couldn't step away from the puzzle. But, but to answer your question, and I know Patrick, I know that you're a pilot. And, and I know that, um, you know, one of the things that you have to do is not only have the skills to be a pilot, you actually have to check the fuel before you get in the plane every day, right? And, and how many tragedies when you have bad fuel? And so fuel to me is the portfolio itself. And, and what we do is we have five different services that I subscribe to, where every day the portfolio will be run through each one of those models. And, and we don't have to have a consensus. One of those models may deem my company uh, this or that, but anytime there's a warning that comes off on only one of those services, that might mean we just put the stop loss that much tighter uh, and, and put that stock on a shorter leash. But what we have set up through our team is not only the portfolio and all these models, but we have a price limit that alerts will go off if a stock exceeds a range price or drops below a range price. That doesn't mean we take an action. That means we know what's actually going on. And a lot of times, I could go about my day and very few alerts will go off. But when an alert goes off, it means a, a stock for some reason that's been in a narrow range is coming out of that range. And there's a lot of studies that will show you that once that range is broken, um, a new trend develops. Mm -hmm. So we have alerts set on every stock. And then we, we literally have, it's embarrassing, stock alerts for another hundred companies we don't own yet. Um, and if those alerts go off and they've already been predetermined to be in my good list or my bad list, we might take action. And so, uh, you know, I read a lot. Um, I, I still believe you have to read a lot. I don't know why I continue to read um, books from, from guys and women in our industry, uh, you know, and, and everyone that comes out, it, you know, a half hour before bed, it, it's a good thing to, you know, rest up a little bit. 
Uh, I have a beautiful environment outside my home. I go on the lounge chair and I'll read a half hour. So it's not a dashing life <laughs> of a exciting cowboy. And um, it's actually, I, I've had a lot of excitement in my life uh, have, and I continue to have fun, but the stock market, if you will, is my hobby. Mm -hmm. uh, it's what I, I, I'm challenged by. And um, so you have to just get the stress out and, and maybe uh, hoot and holler now and then. But um, you check the fuel, you alert yourself to any price movement that, that's out of whack. And if you do all of those things, it, it actually leads to a less stressful life, you know? And so I don't really have... Uh, a super high stress in life. I, I think I do have a composition that um, if someone says the pilot went down, will someone try to fly the, fly the plane? I'll raise my hand. I'll say, hey, you got to give me some instructions, but I have a calmness to me. And um, frankly, you know, one of the guys I interviewed years ago, Michael Steinhardt, when one of the largest funds with one of the highest returns. And he said, one of the secrets to his success was literally how many trades he opened and closed. And, and the emotion of, of having a gain, of having a loss, and then learning how to control your emotions and control the stress um, is really what I key on. And, and if anything that we take away from here is that I'm not the brightest guy in the room usually. I'm not the brightest guy on the screen today. Uh, what I am is I'm incredibly disciplined, grounded, uh, and I try to have no ego in the money management side. And knowing that a couple of the brightest PhDs help design the whole model. Uh, and then I because of the access and the time in the industry, I can literally call up most of the top investors uh, and, and, and just have some discussions. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I spend most of my day doing. I know it sounds boring. Um, I wish I was more exciting, um, but I've already found my wife 20, 30 years ago now. Nice. And um, so now I have to be a, but my kids are out of, they, they've flown. Um, mm -hmm. They're out of the house. I have to take care of my dog, myself, yep. and these portfolios. Stay healthy. I like the fuel analogy. The only thing I would say that if we get a fuel alert, we're putting that airplane on the ground as soon as possible. We're not tightening any margins exactly. or any spreads. We're going down on the ground. <laughs> but you don't take off. The point is you don't take off, right? Depending you on when the alert comes, correct, yeah. <laughs> you don't go wheels up. So if something really showed up, I would ground things and, and sell things down and, and, and not say, hey, I have enough skill that despite this warning, I'll fly through it. Absolutely not. And, and that's the, uh, the essence of having a team and, and a discipline. And, and then know that, that, that some days the, the, you know, the market will do things, the companies will do things you don't expect. Um, and as long as you just stay grounded, stay disciplined, and then sell what bothers you, 
whatever's disturbing the portfolio. And, and I like it to, you know, one last thing and then we'll wrap it up. But I say we, we put the bus, we fill the bus and we say to everyone, you know, metaphorically, look forward and don't make any noise. <laughs> and if anyone on the bus acts inappropriately, we pull the bus over quickly and throw them out. Yeah. And uh, with, with no questions yes. So if you look forward, you do your job, which means increase in earnings, increase in margins, and increase in stock price, you keep your seat on the bus. If you act up, you act rude, we pull yeah. it over, and we, we toss you out. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, there's no kids on this bus. Yeah. No, no, kids. no, <laughs> no bad kids, kids. No bad kids. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, uh, for after working many years as you have in a business where you're constantly faced with making decisions um, with incomplete information, that a discipline and a process is really, really helpful. And I just want to thank you for joining us and sharing your background, sharing how Magnet the process works, what you look for, um, why you started it at this particular time and what you were seeing in markets that was different from the last 10 years. Because we've been telling clients for a while now that, you know, you got to know your alternatives because what made you your net worth or what made you money the last decade may not be the same vehicles and tools that do it over the next decade. And um, so having smart people like you who are willing and able to change with the times is really great to have. And we'll definitely come back and do another interview with you when we get deeper into the year and more things happen in the market. Cause I'd like to get more in the future. I'd like to get more input on um, just how, what you view in markets and also just more of the tools that you utilize to help screen things down. Because we get a lot of that question from clients about, you know, on these systems, how do you screen things down? Like what, where do you start? How do you, how do you narrow sectors down? So we'll save that for the next interview and we'll dive deeper into that. But uh, Jordan, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, Justin, Patrick, do you guys have any other questions? If not, we'll be happy to wrap it up. Save it for the next one. All right. Hey, I had a lot of fun. I love sharing the experience, the knowledge, and uh, I'll look forward to the next one. Meantime, uh, thanks for your time and thanks for the, you know, well thought out questions and, uh, let's keep growing together and let's keep having some fun together. Perfect. So thanks. Sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Jordan. Okay, thanks Dave. for joining us.